Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode 33 of Tate, that's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. In this episode, we go international, which is super exciting, and zoom across to talk to Samir Harper from Finland. So without any further ado, I am just going to let you get at it. So hello and welcome. We are currently in the Zoomosphere because I have here with me Samia Harper, who is joining me from Finland, which is really exciting. <laughs> of course, I would love to be on a trip and be actually in Finland. <laughs> mm, mm. But uh, at the moment, that's not really very possible. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me here in the in the, the land of square boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great to be here. Thanks. So, Samir, you are a producer, director, performer, artistic researcher and a DJ with over 20 years of experience of making kind of immersive, interactive, live art based work. Mm. Is that correct? Have I missed anything out there? Uh, no, that's that's all. Uh, so so I just I realized at some point that like uh, I have a background um, uh, like degrees from dance and acting and anthropology, weirdly. Mm. So uh, I realized that even though I've been performing in stage performances, that uh, all of my own work has been somehow interactive or immersive or participatory since the very beginning. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think I uh, did it around 10 years be before I realized that, oh, I've actually never uh, myself done a stage piece, but I've, I've performed in, in many of those. So, mm -hmm. so that's definitely there. And um, I'm going to pick up on this a little bit later on while we're chatting, but the, that connection with anthropology as mm -hmm. a, a, a scholar myself and working very much within that immersive sphere, anthropology and anthro anthropological concepts are such at the heart of this work. Mm -hmm. And um, this isn't Tate Scholar, so I don't want to sort of dig too much into it, but mm, I think mm. we'll circle back to talk a little bit about those links and those relationships with anthropology yeah. as we kind of move through. So the first thing I wanted to do really is I wanted you, um, if you could, just to explain to some of the folk listening, sort of that journey that you went on, kind of where did you start your training and how did you end up sort of realising that you make audience centric and immersive work? Well, uh, like I, well, uh, where to start? I think I'm going to start maybe, <laughs> maybe um, I first started doing music when I was maybe somewhere around 13, 14. And then I had my first uh, big artistic crisis when I was 14. And, <laughs> and that, that was because like I had been playing and, and, uh, uh, training a lot because I'm I'm a kind of a um, I, I really enjoy training so so I I am kind of a holic on that but uh, so so uh, I was playing tennis saxophone and then I stumbled upon uh, John Cage's work mm -hmm. so so then I kind of like uh, realized that that okay that because he has this. Um, uh like you probably know his work but but that um maybe all the listeners doesn't know so i'm just gonna try to summarize a bit that that because he had a um like he was a buddhist so kind of he thought that uh playing or composing in a traditional way was kind of a, a reflection of the ego so then uh he kind of uh, changed that around and and in uh, kind of created circumstances where the world could speak uh, mm -hmm. or what world could play 
So then at that point, I, I got my first artistic crisis and I realized that, oh, I can't play anything because it's it's basically bad. <laughs> like like it's, it's a reflection of the ego. So then I, I sold all my instruments. I sold my stereos. I sold everything yeah. I had in relation to music. And, and then I, I just was listening to the world for two, three years after that. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of uh, uh, after some time that took me more into a kind of performance art uh, mm. and, and like live art practice because that's kind of uh, what Cage is doing there also. Yeah, he's so tied up in that, isn't he? That the whole new school movement with sort of happenings and fluxes and John Cage yeah. was one of those sort of central figures that sort of drove a lot of the principles that underpin everything from live art to sort of immersive work that's happening now so he's such an important I think figure yeah 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 and and then uh kind of uh that uh I can't remember what happened there in the middle but I then ended up um studying anthropology and I was uh like looking a lot on rituals and and uh, um the anthropology of art and and then kind of realized that oh I'm I'm more of a maker than a um uh, a theorist like now i'm i'm uh, currently actually doing also a doctorate on on these things so so like mm-hmm. research definitely has a connection to all of my work but but yeah. at that t- time i realized that because in anthropology there was such a discussion on embodiment and corporeality and then we were sitting on classrooms all the time and i was wondering that like, where is the embodiment <laughs> so, yes so. well that, that's often the um <laughs> the paradox of education isn't it is that yeah. it, it should be this kind of phenomenological lived experience and accumulation mm-hmm. um, but often you find yourself just sat in kind of a receiving mm-hmm. position and i try really hard in a lot of the classes that i i mean i'm very fortunate i get to teach a lot of practice so mm-hmm. i yeah. can kind of embed some of those core ideas in a way that we live through them and experience them rather than just me giving lectures I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm rubbish at giving lectures these days I find that just <laughs> it, it's it's just feels like a very dead space and a very dead form where there's not a lot mm-hmm. of sort of dialogical discussion mm-hmm. and I I prefer that so I, I completely feel you there yeah, and this separation yeah. as well of practice and theory is such a strange institutionally imposed situation mm-hmm. I think and um, I certainly know I do a lot of work to trouble that relationship and we'll, we'll come mm. around again and I think link back in the conversation to talk a bit more about your doctorate as well and what it is that mm. you're doing through artistic practice but I think in the last mm. 10 years that space has really opened up and certainly in the UK I think mm. practice as research has become less of one of those sort of weird things that you constantly have to fight for Mm, mm. (laughs) I don't know about in Finland if that's the case if there's still a sort of resistance to practice in the academy Mm, uh, well I I think there is some but uh, artistic research uh, like like we uh, we use the title artistic research but it's the uh, same field so so then uh it's uh, been very central and, and it's uh, very central in the theatre academy also in Helsinki. So, so um, I think it's, it's uh, trying to get away from those um, oppositions. But, but I think there is still tension between both the kind of traditional academic mm-hmm. and then also the kind of uh, uh, 
the field where the practice is coming that then there is kind of a remnant uh, also that uh, is is kind of suspicious of of theory which i yeah. think is just just always so silly but uh, but that's i i think it's still existing there still yeah, I, I agree. And I, I find that I've spent half of my publication still making the defense of the method mm. before I can even then talk about the thing that I actually <laughs> want to talk about. Mm, and you yeah, know yeah, Annette yeah. Arlander, don't you, who's been at the... Um, huh? You know Annette Arlander, don't you, I think? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. she's been very much at the forefront of making some of those arguments and sort of pushing that artistic research agenda, which I think is has been really successful for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's definitely been a, a very strong pioneer, like uh, I think, uh, like internationally also, but definitely in, in yeah. Finland. So she she was my um, professor um, of my doctorate at one point, but but uh, uh, now I'm not sure. I think um, she's probably in the Fine Arts Academy now uh, at this moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but that- yeah, yeah, go ahead. During COVID, she got stuck on an island, didn't she? Because she was doing research, I think, with trees. And um, I think for a good chunk of, of the pandemic, I think she was trapped in the most glorious place, which was a beautiful <laughs> island surrounded by trees. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and probably the COVID time was was probably uh, not so difficult. I don't know. I haven't I haven't talked about it with her in a while, but uh, she's working so much on the post-human performance. So mm-hmm. I, I think that like uh, the COVID times when at least in Finland, everybody was uh, like out in the forests uh, when they couldn't be anywhere else. So so that was probably in, in some ways uh, uh, mm-hmm. fortunate for her. And yeah. do you find that all of those kind of threads of all of those different experiences of, of training, of discovering cage, of kind of operating with those ideas of rituals has has sort of woven itself into your practice and into the ways that you yeah. work. Yeah, uh, definitely. And 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 just to pick up on 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 the where I ended up with pan- anthropology mm-hmm. is that then I because I was kind of a um, uh, disappointed of of the um, loss of of uh, embodiment in my my uh, uh, like experience in the academy. Then I uh, went to uh, dance school uh, mm-hmm. in Finland in a kind of a very experimental dance school at that point, which was uh, very much uh, focused on somatic techniques, which yeah. at the time were very much looked down upon. Uh, and mm-hmm. and then um, I worked as a dancer some years. Uh, and uh, then I uh, went to UK to do an MA in in, in acting in Liverpool, uh, in Lipa. And then uh, then I came back, worked in in uh, some dance and, and theatre performances. Also worked in Russia for a year there, which was an interesting moment. And wow. then uh, <laughs> and then uh, then at some point ended up uh, um, uh, building uh, this company that I'm run now running. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, humbly called the, the center for everything, mm-hmm. and and then um, also started doing the the doctorate. So that's kind of where where I'm now. So also um, doing immersive work and and also uh, doing the doctorate and running the company. Brilliant. And so you've been sort of engaged in making. I'm going to kind of use audience centric. I think that's the broadest yeah, way. Yeah, to, we're going to 
won't come back and talk about immersive as, as a kind of term and where that sits mm-hmm. in the landscape. But um, what is it, do you think, about that kind of audience-centric practice that excites you? What, what brings you to put the audience at the heart of the work that you make in all those different kinds of forms? Uh, yeah, I think there's uh, so many uh, reasons for that. I, I think originally I didn't so consciously uh, realize why I'm doing this kind of work. Uh, something drew me into it and I just ended up doing it. But but uh, uh, then when I've kind of analyzed it, I think like one strand is definitely the anthropology and those thoughts uh, of, of kind of um, wanting to get to the embodiment and then then kind of like because I had that experience of not uh, being so happy sitting uh, uh, sitting and, and kind of having that passive um, uh, position, then I also didn't want to put my audience into that. <laughs> so, so that's probably one. And uh, then one is uh, 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 definitely the, that when I started doing this kind of work, uh, the funders or the production houses in Finland didn't really uh, support or fund that kind of work. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, then I started to uh, like experiment actually a lot on, in club or rave uh, like contexts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for me, that was kind of uh, fruitful because like then you didn't have to like uh, destroy the theater to mm-hmm. be able to kind of get to the social situation. But uh, those contexts were like to start with already very social. So, so that's why that was definitely one, one for me, uh, and um, uh, then kind of the also those exploration into the sixties, seventies, uh, and those like Cage and and uh, like live art pioneers from there is is definitely one uh, connection. So, like performance art was really the one that was kind of open for me at that mm-hmm. time in in Finland, where all the other avenues were sort of that you had had to have a degree before uh, like um, having a possibility to join any unions but the performance art was something which was very very open so so that's uh, I, i'm still very grateful for for kind of that openness even though i i feel that my work is probably in a bit of an, in a different place now but um but i think those at least uh, come to mind uh, yeah. It's that, um, and I, I had a similar experience, kind of the institution of theatre in some mm. ways is quite immovable. It's immovable mm. in form, in content and, and as an institution of accessing it as a new or emerging artist mm. is really, really challenging. And, and I don't think that has changed. And certainly here in the UK, there's mm. this kind of DIY pop up things happening in places where you don't usually find cultural activity that would be considered Mm. theatre or performance and so I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about those those synergies and that route in through live art because that was my experience I found I discovered Mm. live art and performance art as an undergraduate and then kind of Mm. that ignited me and it took a long time for it to sort of circle back around into what you might consider theatre practice Mm. but it was Mm. having access to those spaces of cultural activity that are not associated with high art forms mm, mm. That, that give you access to community, to the possibility of transformation, mm, all of those mm. sort of things that Victor Turner from mm. that kind of anthropology mm, talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And I think is, is so key to, to the immersive work. Mm. And so I think 
operating outside of those institutions has actually been a really fruitful space, not just for performance art, but also for the for the emergence of immersive mm-hmm. and immersive theatre. And I think it's yeah. for that reason, because it can be so impenetrable and inaccessible in, mm-hmm. for, for, in so many ways that actually mm-hmm. those contexts become exciting and fruitful. And I, I know for me, it's about that possibility of radical transformation which is very difficult to do if you're sat in a seat in the dark mm, watching mm. people <laughs> mm, mm. whereas in the context like you're talking about like a rave context or a club context they're places mm. where people have community and people come and they build community even mm. if it's just for that night when they're together doing mm. things for real in that space and certainly mm. for me that's been something that's been hugely transformative for my practice but I think it's because it has transformation that sort of radical possibility Mm. at the heart of it yeah and I I think in a lot of kind of um, contexts which are not of the kind of uh, high art or the institutional setting they've also had to solve so many uh, kind Mm. of practical problems that I think are very fruitful for the um, immersive performances and and just uh, one thing like connecting to the kind of uh, club or the rave scene that it's also been a kind of a haven for LGBT plus people uh, since forever. And and that kind of uh, like I think nowadays one of the things that I'm I'm kind of really interested in my practice at at the moment is the kind of uh, like uh, queer scene and BDSM scene and the sex positive scene and which is very uh, uh, linked to those practices also and and the reason is that because uh, in those when you kind of you have to have a very uh, strong negotiation there because it's it's trying to push uh, against the normative s- systems and and so kind of you um, like if you think about that in terms of performance then you kind of you have to uh, negotiate um, according to each audience member so that you're not kind of thinking that uh, okay this is my presupposition of what the audience is which might take into a very normative situation and, and kind of mm-hmm. think thinking that um, that you kind of assume like what what is the what is the audience and I think those practices and and I, I definitely link it also to to some of the like um, uh, what's happening in the club and and rave scenes that that um that there is a kind of a um openness of of the negotiation that mm-hmm. sometimes i feel that in the um like like there is that discussion definitely also in the performance art performing arts so i'm not saying that but but i just think that there's so many uh, like in a similar way that there's so many uh, great techniques uh in in game design to draw from so i think also in those um community there's so many uh practices that would definitely benefit not only the immersive form but like um, performing arts in general yeah i agree and it's it's because um though i mean th- there's a long history of that isn't there with with performers like ron avi um who's done a lot of work in that kind of club scene and the club space mm. back in the 60s and the 70s and mm. also mm. people like franco b as well who sort of mm. operate mm across all of those lines that you're talking about and I think it's because in all of those things there's a there's a level of investment and risk and trust Mm. but it's all negotiated as a contract in the moment that those things are unfolding and I think Mm. there's something Mm. very powerful 
about that connection and that constantly mm. renegotiated kind mm. of contract mm. between the two of well, the two of you or sometimes between you and a large group of people depending on mm. what you're doing mm. but I think there is something really powerful about that that I think theatre especially in a mimetic sense anything that sort of pretend mm. struggles to access mm. that kind of moment by moment sort of dialogicality of, of negotiation mm, mm. and so I, I think that's why a lot of this work has those tendrils that reach out beyond the sort of traditional performance and performing arts into mm, these mm. other areas of, of subculture or mm. and or sort of like um not anti-culture but things that operate outside of, of mm. those societal norms so I think it's really interesting to hear that 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 happens in your work mm, yeah. so um I ask you quite a difficult question now because you've been making mm. work for a long time so your work has probably evolved certainly will have evolved over, over that 20-year period mm. but was there a piece of work looking back that was really seminal kind of for you as an artist that kind of consolidated your aesthetic the things that you wanted to achieve was there a thing that was just a really big sort of turning point for you? Uh, yeah, there's uh, definitely been um, uh, like one uh, kind of a world that I've been, been uh, uh, involved with uh, was called uh, the Experience Park. So we, we um, uh, uh, did it at least in, in Oulu and Turku where, where I was involved and and that was kind of a turning point. We did it in Oulu in 2008, and then we did it for the uh, European Capital of Culture in 2011 in Turku. And, and that was definitely one of the first uh, where we uh, had the possibility of kind of combining both uh, like inside spaces and, and outside spaces uh, and uh, digital elements and game design and and also, I think the one of the first ones where we had like LARP uh, makers joining our team. So, so that was kind of, uh, 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 I think that it was a turning point in the sense that before that, I felt that kind of, at least in Finland, the performing arts were in their own, and then LARP makers were were in their own, and so on. So, mm -hmm. so that was at least uh, in in my knowledge, uh, the one of the first ones where these very different kinds of makers that still are working with very similar things that that kind of came together. So, so that that was definitely uh, that kind of piece. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit about? what was the experience like for the audience so tell us about about kind of how how it worked what was the tone of it the feel of it what did the audience sort of encounter mm, well uh the audience was told like when we did this uh in, uh, in Oulu in 2008 for example in the northern finland the audience was told uh this was the year 2008 and and the audience was told that they are uh, travelers or tourists from the future who are returning back to the mm -hmm. golden year of 2008 in, <laughs> in Oulu, when everything was still original and authentic. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of the, what, what the audience was told. And, and then they were uh, kind of having an adventure in, in, um, in Oulu in 2008, uh, in the original one. And and um, um, 
uh, what to say more about it. Like there was definitely a very strong kind of pervasive gaming feeling in that, meaning that mm-hmm. the that the game was kind of uh, surprising them uh, also when they weren't really uh, specifically in the game. Like they had, they knew that this might happen, so there there was a. a um, kind of a negotiation of consent in that sense, but still also it was a, a game that might, uh, like I remember that I was walking, like it also happened the other way around, that I was walking on the street and uh, uh, just uh, going home and and uh, one of the players came and, and they just took me into a, a situation. Uh, so they were like uh, treating me as the character and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> but, but, <laughs> But then realized, but it was a very much to play what, what's reality and and uh, how how to kind of uh, uh, what's what's the word for it like how how to transform it how to mm. how to um, change your perspective uh, also of what your uh, so called reality or so called ordinary life is. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think pervasive is really interesting that you were talking about there because there is a bleed isn't there it's difficult mm, to know mm. especially when you set that up as part of the premise of the structure mm. of the work is that it sort of bleeds across that mm. fictive space into reality so then sometimes closing that down and sort of completing it is really mm. difficult because it can it can bleed I call it bleeding sort of bleed across and and carry on sometimes for a really long time as well beyond that sort of originating experience. It's really good as well to hear about, because LARP here, I was at a conference um, in May, and Mm. um, LARP was referred to as the weird cousin of immersive theatre. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought actually LARP's probably as a a concept been around for an awful lot longer than Mm. immersive theatre. So in some ways it's probably actually a weird aunt or uncle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, and and there is a very like of of course the Nordic LARP is is a very kind of there is a very strong artistic streak into it that there's been yes. a lot of experimentation. I was say that, yeah. And uh, I was just uh, uh, speaking with um, uh, one of the kind of pioneers in Finland called Mike uh, Bohjola, and, and I was kind of asking that is there like a post uh, drama uh, like post drama version of LARP? Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's so so often still uh, based on characters and story, mm-hmm. and I was just interested. Mm-hmm. And is is there? And he was talking, uh, telling me about this one experiment that they made, and and uh, I can't now remember the the name of the uh, the test, but I still remember the video, which was uh, like uh, a room full of uh, flower. Um, is that the right word? Like the the one that you use to make bread. Yes, yeah, flower. Yes, yes. Uh, and then they had um, the audience in their underwear in this uh, in this uh, room, which was just full of flour, and I think it was just gorgeous. <laughs> we um, it's actually weird with flour because I wanted to use flour in a performance to trace footsteps, to make footsteps, and to sort of to to mm. build these traces. Um, many years ago now, but we were in a theatre space, and they mm. are not. You're not allowed to use flour in theatre spaces because apparently it's combustible under theatrical lights. Ah, yeah. That can cause explosions, which I had no idea. Well, <laughs> until after I tried, I said, yeah, I want to use this. So in there we had to use talcum powder, Mm-mm. which is, is not quite the same sort of mm. connotations as flour because flour has a particular smell and feel. Mm. 
and it behaves very particularly in air as well. Mm, but yeah, mm. apparently under theatre lights, bread flour can explode. <laughs> mm, that's that's very good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you want that to happen, there's definitely things you could do. And if you don't want it to happen, don't use flour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Nordic LARPs are kind of legendary within the sort of LARP community because mm, yeah. there's so much realism and of course those incredible landscapes that things can unfold mm, within mm. but I've also met a couple of people at different conferences that are doing their doctorates as well mm, mm. and they said there's a real experimental turn in Nordic LARP towards you know feminist LARPs and mm. all kinds of ones that are more pervasive rather than sort mm. of character or narrative driven yeah, so it'll be yeah, interesting yeah. to see how that how that develops, but also how they'll mm. influence kind of each other, those art forms. Because like mm. you said, gaming, LARP and immersive have really connected um, kind of core aspects to them that we share, mm. I think, yeah. Across, yeah. across them. And also some similar sort of missions and visions, really. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and so I yeah. think collab collaboration is very exciting across those different forms. Yeah, 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 and 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 just to pick up on on that, there is the uh, there is a lot of like political laps, uh, mm. uh, at least in in Finland, and I just uh, uh, yeah, also also like dealing with very uh, current political issues issues, and uh, um, and yeah, of course there is also the element in of fun in in many of those and mm -hmm. and play, so it's it's definitely um, there is definitely a, a lot to share, yeah. And I think you've hit on something that's really central, I think, to all of those things. And it's this notion of play mm -hmm. that rests at the heart of everything, I think, that anyone who engages audiences in a fundamental mm -hmm. way is interested in, is that idea. And, and it's not always frivolous. Some, sometimes, of course, it's absolutely frivolous and, and just mm -hmm. fun and brilliant. But I think sometimes play is a way that we can engage with things that scare us and that terrify mm -hmm. us and things that are dangerous. Mm, well, mm, it's the reason people ride roller coasters, isn't it? It's because it's mm. a safe, a safe thrill or a safe way mm. of being scared. Because horror, I know here in the UK, horror is a massive part of the immersive mm, entertainment mm. sector. Mm, and so mm. horror is a kind of, in some ways, an easy way to engage audiences, especially if it's mm. IP based. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. And I didn't know um, if you had that sort of similar uh sort of section of immersive in Finland as well this kind of huge there's so many scare attractions here in the UK yeah there is a bit uh, it's it's not a huge uh, scene in Finland but there is definitely uh, those uh, those also in Finland I, I now uh, don't remember the term for the horror houses there's there is a term for it but but yeah there is uh, some of that and uh, uh, and one thing that uh, came to my mind also about the uh, importance of play that that also like uh, just coming back to the anthropology is that uh, there's mm. also uh, such an element in, of play in in a lot of the rituals also that we easily tend to kind of think that the ritual is this very somber uh, situation all, always but a lot of the rituals are also really funny mm -hmm. uh, like, like it's it's uh, definitely the, the element of play is is there also and just uh, I don't know if this is a weird example but like the carnival in rio i think is mm -hmm. uh, is one example it's like the biggest party on the planet it's still very political also uh, and and still also like 
very much fun. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And I think in Western culture, for sure, our play opportunities as adults are so diminished. Mm. And because um, I have a three-year-old, so watching, I get real joy from watching the way that he plays because it's something that I think gets removed the older and older you get. You get less mm. and less opportunities. And it's one of the reasons I think that this form persists and will grow exponentially because we just as as adults mm, mm. don't have especially in western culture because again rituals are disappearing and vanishing so a lot of those mm. play opportunities just aren't there mm, and um, mm. so I wanted to sort of get your perspective on that if you think that one of the reasons this is so popular with audiences is because we have very little opportunity to play as, as adults I think yeah, I think I think it's definitely that, and and in Finland, like there is a relatively strong uh, like um, gaming culture, and and a lot of uh, like um, compared to its size, uh, a lot of uh, game studios and companies uh, in in Finland, and I I think it's it's uh, that there is definitely a, a connection with that, um, and um, now now I what, what was that question? Now I forgot it. <laughs> uh, I, I ended up thinking about the game studios, but where did we start? It's, it's about play, isn't it? And those play opportunities and that we have so little as adults. And I think... Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also at the moment, uh, there's, I don't know, I think it's internationally also a discussion about uh, whether the audiences are kind of returning back to the theatre or not. And mm. at least in Finland, there is the discussion that... Um, that they are not returning quite uh, as fast yeah. as they thought. But mm -hmm. for example, our like all of the things that we're doing at the moment is all the time sold out. And I, I can definitely feel that like after the uh, like this particular moment of pandemic that we have behind us, that there's definitely a thirst for that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's uh, at least in Finland, I feel that it's a bit to do with the um, fact that the, maybe the older audiences are a bit more timid to come back but the mm. younger ones are definitely out there <clears throat> I think so too and what I've noticed here certainly in the UK is that a lot of the immersive work was able to continue in various forms throughout the pandemic mm -mm. but of course all of the the theatres especially institutional national theatre RSC could do very little because mm -mm because they're based in that kind of site venue and mm. they're seeing the same. They're, they're not seeing audiences returning mm. sort of in droves like they thought they would, but the immersive work is sold mm. out, just sold out, sold out, sold out. So trying to get, mm. get into things. And again, I think it shows different audiences, certainly here in the UK. I think this kind mm. of work engages non-traditional theatre audiences. It's mm. people who are interested in game. It's people who are interested in fun, people who mm. are interested in that kind of simulation experience rather than mm. the people who go to the theatre, which here very much mm. tends to be middle, upper middle class, people mm. in their 40s and above. So, and they are mm. being cautious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and coming back to the kind of uh, the experience part, because that uh, one of the things kind of struck a chord there that when we started that and it was in the uh, north of Finland and and kind of we were first doing like uh, experimental dance pieces and then it mm. was sort of always the same 19 persons in the audience. And yeah. then, <laughs> 
<laughs> and then kind of like okay like uh, we need to somehow combine because it's also it's not a huge city so you mm -hmm. kind of if you end up thinking too much like this is the dance audience uh, there's just not people uh, in that city enough mm -hmm. so then then kind of through thinking about those things we ended up doing the experience park and we made the decision that we didn't call it art at all like uh, we we just called it that oh this is an experience park and these are the things that we do and and suddenly we had people who've never been in in the audience of of those like uh performances that we called like contemporary performance or mm -hmm. contemporary dance and yeah. I just realized that sometimes kind of art can be a problem <laughs> in terms of marketing and still like it's definitely art we're still using same techniques we're still using all of the methods of art but we're just not calling it that and yes. and that 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 for me was was interesting to realize that oh actually you can like um uh, make up your own frame that you don't need to kind of mm -hmm. like okay we have to have these marketing things and then we get to the art but you can kind of blow up the whole thing and and you can make up your own frame for the whole thing well art I think has baggage doesn't it and, and there's a lot of people who <laughs> will instantly be like that's not for me mm, yeah. just because of that framing and I think immersive has done quite well at avoiding some of those kind of trappings that make theater inaccessible as an art form or dance, because I think dance has mm -hmm. an even more limited audience yeah, <laughs> than kind of yeah. theater does. But interestingly, I mean, Punch Drunk in mm. reality is dance theater. <laughs> yeah, but people don't think about it. No one way. ever that's, calls that's it that. <laughs> ever. I've never heard anyone refer to Punch no, no. Drunk dance theater yeah nobody says well, when they go to see a punch drunk that oh i went to see a contemporary dance piece but they have yeah 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 <laughs> and it's that sort of contact dance-based approach which actually mm, mm. has its roots in really formal kind of dance training so i mm, think it's so mm. interesting that they were able to package that in a really different way but at the very mm, heart mm. of it punch drunk mm. is is make dance yeah 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 definitely yeah but uh, but i definitely enjoy all of those uh like spins that that you you can do with the whole uh context of where you're playing because it's like for me it's it's like even though i would be calling it art I, for me it kind of expands the notion of the art because then it becomes really pervasive it's really mm -hmm. kind of connected to the people and what they are interested in or how do you um, grab their attention if if that's the uh, how how you do it, but but I think it's it in it somehow I I think it gets back to the question uh, of, of the performance art and live art originally, which which was kind of like um, like playing with concrete things, mm. like I like I mean that even though maybe the form has gone to uh, different places or maybe it's it's uh, changed in many other ways, but I think there's still the connection to for example, like Marina Abramovic is say, saying that uh, this is not theatre, this is real thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, so like even though that understanding of what that means is different different now in 2022, but, but I think it's still the question of like, uh, like what do you think is real and what feels to you real? And, mm -hmm. and it, that's definitely something that you can... Uh, that is very uh, powerful uh, in uh, in in the relationship with the audience. That it's it's not only about make believe, even though that's great too. Yeah, yeah, of course. 
and and it's always paradoxical in the theatre because even when there's make believe, mm. you are also aware that you are real in mm. that sense mm. too. And so, when even if you're just performing, even if you're standing on a stage and, and acting to people sat watching you in the dark, there's that paradox because you are always in your embodied state of you. Mm undertaking these activities or these tasks or these pretenses but there's mm. always that paradoxical isn't it because you you can never actually not be you because you are always mm. in that mm. moment of the lived experience of you and I think this work really exposes that paradox mm. Of, mm. of the idea of real authentic and I think mm. these are discussions that are going to be had for probably the next 50 years of what does it mean because now, now people say, oh, well, we're on Zoom, so we're not in person. It's like, well, we are in person. <laughs> and and yeah. so I think we're really struggling as a culture at the moment to express some of those distinctions of liveness, of presence, of real, mm -hmm. of not real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when people are like, oh, we're on Zoom, so it's not real. And it's like, well, it is real. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. happening in this moment. And so mm -hmm. I think what we're going to end up with are these sort of paradoxes of presence. Mm. And, and how we mediate our moment by moment lived experience kind of in those mm. different mm. structures and frames that these kinds of performances mm. give mm. us and the different ways that we choose to invest in it or not invest in it and to be in it or on the outside mm. of it. So I think there are some really complex discussions of liveness on the horizon. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely always uh, uh, very interesting because, like, like I think at one point when we um, started playing with the Experience Park, and there was such a kind of focus on like ordinary things in in like at least in Finland in in live art, and and I I really kind of I really enjoy that uh, uh, like uh, ordinary things and all of those, but then like uh, the one thing that I kind of uh, was struggling a bit was the thing that when it's kind of presented as the real thing in, in a way that because in in some ways that that I still also um, enjoy the kind of maybe more theatrical uh, point of view into the things where kind of that's one uh, way of performing or that's one way of setting things up I mean that that uh, like I don't know if this sounds really um, uh, weird, but kind of reality is only one style. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, I mean, that in that sense that, that uh, even uh, like, I really enjoy uh, uh, performing and making performances where you kind of really feel that I'm here as myself, but also in those moments, I think I am to some extent uh, um, uh, aware that this is one uh, style of, performing how am I kind of uh, uh, presenting uh, and what are the kind of tools that I'm using to convey that this is me yeah and, and, and I think it's also interesting because it also takes us to kind of how we do that in in our day-to-day -day life yeah. also yeah there are definitely versions of you that operate in different contexts mm -hmm. and in, with even with different people and in different spaces and and mm. And yeah, it travels that notion of kind of authentic you and mm, all of those mm. sorts of things. I, I really enjoy that as well, because my work is mm. about me engaging audiences as myself mm. doing real things. Mm. But actually, it's a performative version of myself. Mm. Mm. It's, just, it's kind of one, one aesthetically heightened mm. Mm. 
kind of version. So I, I think it's it's going to be really interesting the way that these things unfold. The more and more we have, uh, especially digital realities mm. and augmented realities that we can lay over things. I think mm, mm. I think that that Peggy feeling and Auslander dichotomy of what liveness can be needs mm. to be <laughs> considerably <laughs> sort of extended, really. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was going to get you as well to talk a little bit about, so we've mentioned it quite a few different times, but the Centre for Everything. Tell mm. us how that came about, who you work <laughs> with for that, and the kind of work, you know, that you make. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was just uh, in a in a meeting um, uh, uh, this this weekend in in uh, Belgrade, and and somebody was asking me about the name, and 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 then then I gave this really weird ex- explanation that <laughs> that 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 we used to like, like before we were called uh, the Lost City Incorporated Ooh. when we were doing the Experience Park, and then uh, like somebody asked that why did we change our name, and I said that we used to focus more on public perform public spaces, and now we're focusing on everything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the the uh, change in focus there. But uh, uh, but yeah, like the the very ordinary uh, version of that is that we set up a new company, and then then we uh, changed the name at some point. So uh, at that point, so we. Um, made it into an um, uh, organization in, in Finland. Before that, we were, were always kind of uh, like hacking into existing companies. So we had, for mm-hmm. example, we had the experience part, but we always had a different company that it was done under. So ah, so okay. we were first kind of thinking because there were so many companies in Finland that in, in the beginning we thought that let's not build another company. So... <laughs> <laughs> but then then at some point we started to do more like international projects and and then it started to be tricky to do it that way so so then we we said finally gave in and and set up the set up our own company <laughs> so and and uh, uh, and yeah and at that point also uh, talked a lot about what's really the focus and and does the previous name really serve us anymore so uh, but there's also there's kind of a uh, ideological background also in the name that that uh, there is a uh, uh, focus on intersectionality and diversity there that it's it's also kind mm-hmm. of thinking of how to really uh, expand the notion of inclusion um, um, uh, like on all levels of the company and and considering both the people who are working in the company and and the audiences and 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 everything everything in it everything so. <laughs> And do you have a kind of physical uh, uh, sort of home or are you more kind of sort of nomadic moving around and sort of collaborating in different places and spaces? Uh, we're very nomadic. So so we also it's a um, ecological choice for us, because at least at some point uh, there was research that kind of the theatre buildings are the one that uh, are. Um, causing most of the carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, where is that at the moment. But, uh, I think I remember it's uh, at that point. So so we've made the um, very deliberate decision that we're not going to get our own space, that we're all, only using found spaces or collectively um, uh, organized spaces. So, so in Helsinki, for example, we uh, train a lot uh, uh, in a place called Eskus, which is shared with uh, 
about 25 uh, different uh, uh, mostly live art uh, companies mm-hmm. so 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 we're very nomadic we've been um, combining technology a lot with our practice so so that's kind of also uh, we're, we've been using that to kind of uh, facilitate the experience and and uh, like we started using something uh, very hip called Facebook at some point. <laughs> 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 and then I think the last one where we were working more with the technology was a thing called the AI party, where we were uh, creating a political party governed by um, artificial intelligence. And in Finland, we really started to make that into a political party. So, um, um, so yeah, we, we're very uh, mobile and nomadic. Yeah. And what kind of um, technologies have you been incorporating into your work? Because there's so many, there's mm. there's sort of two different schools of approach. There's kind of very high tech, very expensive, but then there's also companies like ZUK who mm. hack familiar and old fashioned technology. Mm. So, mm. so what kind of tech do you tend to employ in the work? Uh, it depends so much on, on on the particular project, but like in in the AI party, of course, we were really trying to push that in the sense that we wanted to uh, be able to somehow claim that we have a, a AI on the stage uh, in interaction with the audience. That was kind of like even if it would be very limited, but that that we tried to incorporate it into the mechanics so that that it would really be in connection with the with the human audience so but then also like we've worked with anything from text messages to to uh, like we were uh, during the pandemic we were developing uh, for some time uh, like uh, uh, performance in VR but then then um, it became a bit too heavy for our our small company so so mm-hmm. then we we didn't really take that uh, in into its uh, fruition, but but so uh, at least at the moment we are the next piece we are uh, developing. I, I'm definitely thinking a lot about the accessibility of, of technology and what what are the things that kind of that it doesn't end up being only on the kind of high end of the tech. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because there's a lot of exciting possibility, I think, with VR, AR, the metaverse, mm. all of those kinds of things. But actually, at the moment, they're quite inaccessible for most yeah. people in terms of price point, in terms of even having access to them in a public space it is, is mm. quite challenging. And so I think we won't really unfold the true nature and the potential of those technologies until they become a bit more kind of accessible within general culture yeah um, yeah I've yeah, been it's... trying to get buy some into my department for a couple of years now and um quite a few of the different headsets and the different systems aren't available at the moment to buy mm-hmm. I think I don't know whether it's shortage of parts or what but um mm-hmm. yeah so trying to because I sort of tell my students about it but I, they've never laid their hands <laughs> on any of the VR tech at all mm-hmm. so uh, it, it is difficult yeah, and it's it's so very contradictory because kind of the the good cheapest ones are owned by our lovely Facebook ones again. So the politics and and ethics mm-hmm. and everything around it is very muddy. Uh, but then, uh, like there, there is a very good uh, 
VR uh, headset company in Finland, but it's one of the most expensive also at the same time. So then there is that and that like nobody can uh, afford even one. So, mm -hmm. so, um, but it's, it's like, uh, I'm very torn uh, in relation to technology often because like I still feel that the artist should be there in the forefront because otherwise it, it gets defined by meta or engineers. So we definitely should be there to mess that up. But uh, uh, at the same time, kind of like um, I, I, I am finding myself in those very concrete situation of do I want to give more money to Facebook? So, so. Mm -hmm it's it's very uh, contradictory uh, situation yeah it is and i think until there's more opportunities for artists to have sand pits and to play with some of this tech because like mm. you said at the moment it is very driven by technologists who are engineers rather mm. than artists mm. and often your engagement with it is with someone else controlling or managing the technology whereas mm. i think if we can get to that point where artists can just play with it but play with it in a kind of knowledgeable way then mm. i think we'll start to see some some genuine innovation coming yeah. out of it but at the moment it's still a very technically driven space <laughs> yeah 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 there, there are some really uh, like there's a really nice uh, collective called raspberry dreams lab which is uh um messing around in metaverse and they are they are trying to create their own platform and which is uh, very queer friendly and and uh they did the uh, first um of the things i uh, like a bigger one during the uh virtual burning man and and i just like i know it definitely wasn't probably easy for them but i kind of enjoyed that they also uh like um published how many times they had been put down like and it was something like uh, Facebook had uh, closed them like seventeen times, and and it was just an interesting list of how the different um, platforms, like how they have just closed them, just because their um, um, like material is is uh, really um, experimental, and mm -hmm. and of course a lot of times to do with sexuality, but not in a pornographic way. Yes. So so. Um, and and I think it's it's still important to kind of challenge those because mm -hmm. like like um, uh, for example in in Facebook just one of the things is uh, um, in relation to nudity is that that you're allowed to have nudity if it's used in a comic uh, way, which is sort of like like okay and and also like art is not uh, a valid reason. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. And, and that's the reason why some years ago we had those uh, Greek statues which were censored by Facebook. So so it gets really, uh, really weird. Yeah, it is strange. And it'll be interesting to see how those things are negotiated culturally moving forwards of what, what content is kind of given a voice or a space or visibility and what content is just removed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and also like just uh, at least for myself, I'm trying to remember that uh, these platforms are not the only ones because e easily kind of like uh, uh, like so many like you can see with so many museums that uh, that the kind of uh, Instagrammability of the artwork is starting to like influence uh, the curatorial decisions and and it's also it's good but also that it's if it starts to really direct uh, art in that sense I think we end up in a very narrow space yeah yeah I agree and I think it's kind of in some ways artists jobs to nibble 
nibble at the edges of that and disrupt mm. that yeah. in every sort of way and opportunity that we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because here we have um, loads of infrastructure for funding for very traditional arts, but actually the immersive scene here has really struggled to get any kind of central funding or any infrastructure put in place for them. Mm -hmm. They're still very much on the outside and using, at the moment, actually, a lot of commercial models to fund their work and lots mm -hmm. of different, you know, the bar is often what pays for a show, mm -hmm. which is a shame. And wish I'm working with some people to try to do something about that. But I was going to ask you mm -hmm. kind of about your work and how you've been able to facilitate that to happen financially and what the sort of mm. infrastructure is there in Finland that you've been able to maybe take advantage of? Well, we're uh, at the moment in a, in a fairly happy situation. Like we got to the permanent government funding three months before the pandemic hit. So <laughs> like, like I have no idea how, yeah. how I would have survived this uh, without that one. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, so we are now uh, kind of, um, it's uh, it translates directly like free field, but it's it's a very weird English translation. But but it means that we're um, in the government system that uh, we usually get funding, but it might change according to the year. So, okay, you, so you, is that a little bit like because we have um, national portfolio organizations? Oh yes, yes, yeah. That receive regular government funding. Yeah, so it's, it's it, similar it, to that. Yeah, it's similar to that, but the Finnish system is uh, a bit more rigid in the sense that, uh, like, the good thing is that you usually don't drop out of that. That when uh, when you get into it, you usually it's somehow secured. But also the bad side of the rigid is that it's really difficult to get into the system, and then also the the uh, sums might totally change uh, from year to year, but it's it's fairly uh, secure at least at the moment. Of course, mm -hmm. we're part of the uh, turmoil, so uh, and there is a kind of danger that we're going to end up with a very right wing government next time. So next, let's see mm -hmm. where that goes. But but at least traditionally it's been so. So we got to that uh, funding just before the pandemic uh, hit. So that of course gives us. Uh, uh, some kind of base from which to work and it definitely uh, like uh, during the pandemic it gave us the possibility to adapt our work so otherwise like uh, I don't know how with project grants you could like really um, uh, adapt into such a big uh, uh, mess <laughs> I don't know how to <laughs> say that well but, but... I think it's one of the reasons that um here in the UK, for sure, a large proportion of the work at the moment is IP based. Mm. And I think that's because of those funding models, because a, a lot of it is using venture capitalists, a lot of it is using mm. that. And of course, they know that if they've got a brand or something that people recognize, that will bring audiences in for sure. But it, it's certainly mm. here a very hostile environment to the arts at the moment. And mm. there is a lot of precarity because mm. with the Arts mm. Council, you're an MPO, but that only lasts for about four years, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to reapply. And it's, like you said, it's really hard to get access mm. to those kinds of funds because the lion's share of it still goes to the National Theatre, to mm, the RSC, mm, mm. and to those huge institutions like the Opera House that, mm. that cost <laughs> incredible amounts of money to keep them kind of being subsidised. But what it does mean is that immersive work here 
has very little subsidy. So ticket prices mm. tend to be very inaccessible. But my students, mm. I'm always saying this is on, that's on, but the reality is, is they can't afford to pay punch drunks mm -hmm. prices to go and see their work because mm. there's no infrastructure for subsidy at the moment. Yeah, maybe that will change. the uh, The Tories are doing such a bang up job of tanking our economy. Perhaps we yes. won't have a Tory government for much longer. <laughs> That's yeah. my my utopian naive hope. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. And and at least uh, like uh, during the pandemic, of course, like we kind of. Uh, well, I don't know if it's dangerous to say that we had a dream government, but but uh, anyway, that we were in a very good situation, that we had a very uh, left-wing government, uh, like in the beginning, all-female government, and and uh, very progressive. So so I don't know how like what ha would have been the situation with a very right-wing government during this time. So. So we, in that sense, we've been very uh, fortunate. Like the the weird thing uh, with the immersive related to the funding uh, uh, in Finland is that um, it's kind of like people realize that it's uh, it's a meaningful um, um, field, but then uh, it's some sometimes I think some of your other guests were a bit talking about the kind of appropriation what happens also with the work that that uh, easily what happens is that the bigger houses when they realize that this is the buzzword then that's mm -hmm. the way for them to get the project the big project grants and it kind of easily happens so yeah. that it go, goes then to the institution that has the production muscles but not really knowledge of that kind of work so so then i think that it's just uh, important to kind of uh, have that critical discussion that you should also include the people who have been developing that kind of work for a long time not yeah. not to create the opposition there but but also just to acknowledge that that it's work that has a particular skill and and when you do that for some time you develop uh, that skill so so for the big ones that are are uh, easily have the access to the funds to also realize that it, it would also be in their benefit to use that uh, existing Absolutely. skill. It, it's a, it, because it is a different proposition, engaging audiences and mm. navigating them and doing that in a meaningful, fulfilling way, and mm. also in a safe way, yeah. is a very particular skill set. And yeah, we're seeing that here is that if you slap immersive on it, you can kind of get away with a lot but actually what that does is damage everyone's reputation when it's just mm. being used as a marketing tool and then those expectations for audiences mm. aren't met because they haven't engaged that expertise that they really probably should have mm. yeah <laughs> i was going to ask you a bit about that so here we have a very distinctive i think at the moment immersive landscape mm. that runs all the way from kind of entertainment-based large-scale IP sort of almost tourist attractions right down to kind of still the really DIY fringy but it's it's a very clear kind of part of the cultural landscape is is that the same uh, in Finland or is it still something that's quite peripheral um uh it's it's very much in flux in the sense that um it's uh, that kind of work's been done so much in the margins uh, through the years and now like just uh, a couple of weeks ago there was a um, like the national opera was having a, a conference which uh, also had uh, like immersive as as kind of one of the themes so it's it's starting to be uh, 
kind of recognized by the bigger institutions. But I think uh, national theater is still the only one that has really done an immersive piece in Finland. Like mm -hmm. uh, we have a strong uh, like institutional uh, network of theaters, meaning that uh, um, all the like bigger cities or even middle-sized cities, they have their own theater and their own ensemble. So we're still kind of in that model. Nice. Which, is, which is really good, but it's very based on mm. on tra traditional stage um, mm -hmm. work and and based on like um, uh, people speaking things on stage. Yeah, which which is something that I've also done. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but yeah, it's, no, same, very, same. it's very dominant. <laughs> so 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 so. Um, uh, so is it very much like that that rep model? Because here we've really lost. Yeah. Some... Yeah. In the 70s and 80s, it was hugely thriving and every town would have had a kind of theatre, a theatre troupe, a theatre company. And so people would have had much more access to the theatre. Mm. What we've seen is that's all disappeared completely. Mm. And actually, the, the, the place to access theatre is really sort of London and Manchester. Mm. And mm. outside of that, um, other cities, people in other cities here are probably going to be going, we've got a big theatre, which <laughs> some of the big cities have, but anyone who is more rural or in a town mm, has mm. very little access now, unless it's a London show that's that's touring, basically. Mm, mm. And again, it's always that slightly diminished version mm, mm, <laughs> of the show because it's a touring show, which has a ha has a different sort of feel to it and a different cast and all of that. Mm, mm. Um, and Immersive is very much the same. Immersive is still really London centric here you get the odd thing happening elsewhere but the majority of the work is London centric because London understands meanwhile space it, it has mm. lots of opportunity the thing is other cities have it like Birmingham Birmingham has so much empty space and mm, warehouses mm. and homes that could be utilized but it's persuading those councils that it's a good thing to do is it's like rather than have an empty shopping center you could have something cultural happening here mm. london kind of gets it and understands that and it's going to mm. take I think, probably another 20 years for that to to ricochet out of mm. london mm. and as someone who doesn't live in london i i kind of am hopeful that mm. that will happen and so it's good to hear that there's still more regional sort of possibilities in finland because we we have definitely lost that a lot here yeah, we, we definitely still have have the rep model, and, and uh, the good side of that is is uh, definitely what what you said, and uh, and uh, happily the uh, free field uh, um, uh, th those companies they are doing work uh, like all over. So I know like um, I know of immersive pieces happening even in Lapland in the in the Arctic Circle. So so that I'm happy about that. It's it's That's amazing to hear. Yeah yeah yeah. It's I I, I think it's so amazing to. Have have uh, immersive work in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, I'm so desperate to get out of the UK to start mm. to see some of the other things that are happening because mm. I think London Immersive is, is a very particular beast. Mm. And um, mm. I know there's lots of other really interesting and exciting things happening kind of across the globe. And mm. now that you mm. can travel... <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. I'm really keen. It's just putting the funding in place to be able to get out and experience kind of some mm. of these different kinds of work, which is exciting. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you as well if you could speak a little bit about your doctorate and how that mm. intersects with your practice and with some of the other things that you've been doing. 
Uh, yeah, so so the focus of of the doctor at the moment is so that I'm I'm trying to create a kind of a playtesting method by which to train performers in this kind of performances. So originally, I kind of uh, started to create uh, um, or, or kind of to look at how the technique of a performer changes when it's not a stage performance. Mm. Uh, but then then kind of uh, uh, ended up thinking that could there be kind of one more spin to it so that uh, like how could you develop the technique together with the audience so that it would be somehow like mm -hmm. open to the audience all the time so that um, that uh, similarly as I know that a lot of makers do that they they kind of at, at least a lot of makers that I've uh, spoken with say that kind of that trying to start playtesting as soon as possible so that it still kind of has uh, room to affect really the piece. So yeah. in, in a similar way, kind of thinking the, about the performing and the technique of performing that you, you could really start to uh, develop that with the audience as, as uh, from the start as possible. So, so that's the focus of, and, and it's definitely linked to um, all of the work that I'm doing. So like, like I mentioned that I'm originally trained as a performer. So, so uh, very early on, I, I kind of paid attention to the thing that it seemed that often if there's not so many resources that kind of you get to the doing the structure of the thing, but you don't ever have enough time to think about the performing there. So, so uh, at least that was my experience. So then I've, I've tried to use the doctor to really uh, look at those things. So, so uh, I know there's um, a couple of practitioners here who have been using, utilizing some of Meisner's approaches mm, in immersive yeah. because of it being about being present and in the moment and responsive. Mm. Because yeah, of course, that's, yeah. that's, that's the part of, of what it is that this kind of work does, isn't it? it responds mm. in the moment. But I think there's no formal training. If you went to a conservatoire here, certainly in, mm. in the UK. Mm. There's only the odd one like Rose Bruford, Central, that have a, maybe a module on immersive. Mm. But there's no sort of formal actor training or formal performer mm. training. And so I mm. think it's interesting that we're right at the beginning of that kind of journey, of it, of mm. it being assumed into the usual structures of, of performance training. Mm. And so mm. It's exciting that your doctorate is happening at this point because, of course, that's something you'll be able to influence is the future, mm. the future of training and the future of methodology of how we approach those things. Because I get it a lot from students, mm. you know, they up undergraduates say, "How do I, how do I even start getting into this kind of work? Where, where do mm. I, where do I go beyond my undergrad? Where, where can I train? Where can I apprentice? Where can I? How do I make this kind of work?" Mm. And they mm. they see the gap at the moment is being quite big mm, and they don't mm. quite know how to how to penetrate this mm, type mm. of work yeah, so yeah. What, what do you think what do you hope what is your kind of like ideal for the way that this unfolds for future generations in terms of training well i i just uh, hope that uh, it gets as accessible as possible in the in the sense that uh, like in finland the, the difference to uk is that we have one very central theater school that easily mm -hmm. dominates the whole field uh, 
so it, that's like of course you have like rada and and so on but but it's still like there's plenty of schools yeah. so so yeah. the at least like the discussion is is different in mm -hmm. that sense because also there's so many uh, like different expertise but uh, in finland because we're such a small country that we um we have that very central theater score that easily dominates. And so what it causes is that it it's, um, depends so much on who really teaches there. Like I of, often also teach as like, um, like a, how do you say, like a, um outside lecturer or what's Yeah, like a visiting lecturer. Yeah, like a visiting le lecturer. So so there's, there's space for that, but I think that it's still um, so based on traditional models that I'm I'm just seeing that it's it's there is the challenge that uh, those who are kind of making decisions in those uh, schools of what is being taught uh, they are kind of not totally uh, in my opinion like servicing the students because like it's not really giving it's not uh, given a lot of space but the like the focus is so much on the traditional work and I, I'm just yeah. seeing that that some of the uh, uh, who are coming out of those schools are struggling when they then end up in a um, piece which is not based on those models. So, yes. so I just like, and I think it's it's it is a problem of education, not not the, of those specific uh, students. Mm -hmm. But of course, like that's also what I'm trying as uh, like institutionally to do because that's the role of the doctorate to kind of develop that field. So, so um, like uh, me and others are, are definitely. Um, uh working on it <laughs> but, but, so uh, watch the space then basically <laughs> yeah yeah but uh but yeah and 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 all of like like i think it's also ties to a lot of questions that all also the the people who are in school are very interested in because like at least at the moment in finland there is a very uh, strong discussion about uh, uh uh normativity and about uh, anti-racism and uh, about uh, uh gender uh, uh, theory and so on so i just like uh, like i mean that uh, also coming back to the doctor that that when i'm um, developing the playtesting method the one thing that i kind of realized that is not talked about it so much is also that how those norms happen on the moment of of the meeting in the performance uh, like just that, like one example that there's like um, uh, at least in in those performances where I've been performing myself, it's there's a lot of those that who do you pick from the audience, and then it's like that's very particular moment where where you can go with the one that you kind of feel drawn to or just uh, uh, like uh, that that um, you have all those kind of instincts uh, in yourself as a person, but then then I think that's a very important moment to also realize that what kind of presuppositions are playing into that moment. So, mm -hmm. so just that, um, like what I'm kind of trying to get at is that, that I think that ties very closely to what, are, what a lot of the students are thinking, but, but I'm just, what I'm worried is that those are not really uh, dealt with uh, like as deeply as they are in the kind of like how, deeply the norms are uh, embodied and and how that uh, ties into the questions of performing so so um but uh, the hope the hope or where i'm kind of seeing where i hope that the field is going that those would would uh, come more into the focus and and we would really um take seriously kind of the 
breaking down of those uh, power structures that not only in the kind of like there is the very um, important structures of like who gets to make the work and and mm-hmm. who are the audience and who have accessibility but also also that what really happens with those norms on that kind of micro level of performing yeah and actually you're right i think in just starting to expose and trouble some of those really traditional things even really simple things like when i was training as a performer we were told it's a neutral space in the studio. Everyone meets equally. You leave your baggage at the door. That that's just not true. That's just <laughs> not true. Yeah. And actually, in my immersive classes, I say to my students, "Bring all of your baggage with you. Bring everything in the room because you are the resource." It's like mm-hmm. you, let's recognize where we have connections let's recognize where we have differences and let's Mm. recognize where some of us have privilege and power Mm. as well so that we can expose those things and we can't always do something about them but we can even just exposing them and talking about them Mm. and so it's little really implicit things that are so embedded in performer training like the Mm. idea of a neutral stance as well Mm. in terms Mm. of the rehearsal room I just think we need to start troubling a lot of those mm. things to start to expose actually the inequalities that sit in some of those things and mm. some of these and I know where they've come from it's this utopian a lot of it's come from the 60s actually the 60s mm. and mm. 70s and that idea for hoping for equality mm. and a sort of universal experience but of course that's not how th- how things actually play out and so it's so heartening mm. to hear that these things are starting to be troubled Mm, and hopefully mm. and it takes time doesn't it in education things are slow to mm, mm. to move through and progress so i'm really excited once you've when when are you hoping to complete your doctorate well i'm hoping in a, in a few years now like um hoping like two at the max but uh like i've done uh, the artistic doctorate in finland you can do uh, like uh, artistic parts and then you have something that they now they call the commentary which is uh, the the written part so uh, like I've done all the studies and I've done all the artistic parts and I've done plenty of writing, but there is still uh, work to be done. So I think it's, I'm hoping two years. I feel for you. I remember that middle moment of my own doctorate because I did practice, I did artistic research as well. And mm. um, in that middle bit, you look back and you're like, God, I've done so much stuff. <laughs> you look forward and you're like, I'm still <laughs> so <laughs> far from that finishing line but you will you will get there it's it's one of those it's that middle moment where you're like I've done Mm. so much and yet there there is so far to go Mm, mm. (laughs) so you absolutely have my sympathies of (laughs) in that space at the moment and all of my my I will send you all of my good vibes to uh to help you through to that finishing (laughs) that finishing thank you you. it's it's uh, all of those are very welcome And so I wanted to start to bring things um, to a close because we've been talking for a long, there's a million other things we could talk about for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, we've talked about it sort of on and off and in, in and out of other things, but what do you think about that term immersive? It, mm. Especially sort of, is it used in Finland? Is there like an equivalent translation? So mm. what do you think about that term and and what's your kind of relationship to it in terms of your own work and that context that you operate within? 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny because like I, I've I've been listening to your podcast so much that I've been hearing so many of the answers. So this is it's it's funny funny to be uh, to be answering this one, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it translates a bit uh, weirdly into Finnish, uh, like um, it like a lot of the English terms that have, have come to Finland, like somatic at some point. Like mm-hmm. somat, uh, when we translate somatic into Finnish, it's somatinen, which is basically we're just making it a Finnish word, but not really <laughs> translating it. <laughs> so it's the same thing that's happening with immersive at the moment that we're now just calling it immersivinen, which is kind of the same word but making it sound like Finnish. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so there is that kind of tension there because our language yeah. is so different than uh, it's not the same language group as as English. Yeah, so, of course. Um, so there are all of those. I at some point, like um, I was one of the very first who wrote about the term in Finland, like about ten years ago. So mm-hmm. then I, at one point, I was asking uh, of one uh, professional paper that that should we translate this actually, and then we tried, but it didn't really stick. So so. Uh, <laughs> And I'm I'm happy with that kind of like to answer uh, in some way about the term. I think the term is 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 uh, good as long as it's kind of useful. Like if yeah. it does if it ta- does something. I think it's like some uh, like also in theory that's uh, uh, talked about a lot. That like what does the term really do in in mm. terms of the thinking? So as long as it's still doing something, I think it's it's useful. And and I think at least in Finland, it is doing uh, things still. It's not so watered down that it doesn't mean anything anymore, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not so obscure that people don't know what what's going on. Yeah. So I, I think that's it's in a good place in that sense. Um, like just uh, like how I usually think about it myself, I'm I'm kind of thinking about it in in uh, 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 in relation to the audience interaction and then to the kind of multisensual reality. Kind of, kind mm-hmm. of the combination of those are very much in the heart of it, and and definitely the like uh, the whole question of how the performance or the interaction is framed. So that that that's like uh, really consciously taking taken as as part of the artistic work. Mm-hmm. So because like I'm still kind of uh, in my mind sometimes positing it against the stage performance in the sense that there's so many kind of um, norms in the stage performance that you kind of like you have this uh, system around it and then there's the art somewhere. But but I I still enjoy in in. Um, many uh, good immersive works that they kind of rethink the whole frame mm-hmm. uh, like like of course it's also starting to be a genre so that there are some things that kind of are starting to uh, get get into a genre but i i still enjoy the thing where you kind of really think about where do you start from so um uh yeah that's such a great answer as well and i think here it definitely still does something it's in danger of being of of becoming an empty term like happenings like what happened to mm. happenings mm. but i think the community actually are mobilizing to reclaim it mm. and to, and to redefine some of those central things because i think here in the uk it's definitely becoming a genre mm. and so the community is starting to take it out of the hands of producers in some ways and kind of going mm. let's not just slap it on everything because we're in danger of 
of destroying anything meaningful mm, and mm. it being useful and yeah the community at the moment are definitely in the process of kind of going let's take this back and sort of have some control over over what it does and what it mm. does for audiences and what it speaks to and what mm, it speaks mm. to in terms of genre and approach and methodology so I think mm. it's really heartening to hear that it, that it's still doing something in Finland as well this kind of that mm. it's still an active meaningful space rather mm, than mm. becoming something that's an empty term I think mm. it will I, I, I think it will end up as something nebulous and uh used by marketing firms but for now mm. I think you're right I think we still have there's still something happening inside it so mm, mm. <laughs> it's exciting to hold on to it yeah and 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 also like like uh, i think some uh, other guests were also saying that it it's a good marketing tool but mm. but i think it's it's also not to be looked down upon like i mean yeah, yeah. Uh, i've really come from uh, from that kind of performance art, art that in the beginning i didn't tell anybody what i'm doing and where i'm doing and what like all of those <laughs> and nowadays i'm i'm quite quite happy to have an audience so so so, yeah. so it's it's also like i i i think there's usefulness in that also not but but i'm hoping it's not going to be the only use of, of it yeah. so so uh but i think it was also really good that i think was it a couple of episodes ago that that you kind of were troubling the term theater there and i mm -hmm. think that's kind of very really important because like just thinking about uh, uh the diversity of forms that are are coming about that that like what is the like is it an experience or is it a game or is it a theater or or mm -hmm. in finland in art that we still so much put uh, focus on the word performance so yes. so that's definitely the kind of art term um but uh, uh, i think that's definitely a very interesting space of like what's really come coming out of those terms also yeah and i think it's one of the one of the difficulties because especially here people call immersive theatre encapsulates a lot of different practices that I'm currently writing a, a monograph about trying to draw mm -hmm. some of those things out again because not all of it is theatre actually there's there's <laughs> loads of other things in different disciplines different forms and I just think if we want to hold on to the active aspect of immersive then we mm. need we do need to do what Leon Font said which is immersive what that mm. matters so the immersive bit is still active and interesting it's then immersive what is it immersive theater immersive performance is mm. it a massive mm. game and i think if we could start to draw up some of those distinctions and classifications i think it will become easier for audiences to identify different kinds of work and have expectations of what that kind of work might offer them in terms of an experience so that's what I'm wrangling with at the moment because that's my my monograph I've been trying to write for more years than than should be feasible <laughs> <laughs> but I'm close I'm so close now to uh to having it ready to go into a publisher so <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm definitely uh, very much looking forward to it yeah oh god <laughs> no pressure <laughs> <laughs> So if people want, so what are you working on at the moment and what's the best way for people to sort of follow you, keep in touch with what you're doing and access your work if they want to? Where are you most active? <laughs> mm, well, we are, um, I think we're most active in, in uh, uh, Instagram and um, Facebook at the moment. Our own site is uh, simply centerforeverything.com. 
So mm -hmm. that's that's really the the best place to check. But I think Instagram is probably where where we are the most active at the moment, and that's just a center for everything. Is the handle? Okay. Brilliant. So if you're listening and you would like to find out more about what Samir is doing, please go on Instagram. Because <laughs> that's where you can find out all of the things that are happening. And hopefully in a couple of years, there'll be a, um, a doctorate for people to access yeah. and read. I hope so. <laughs> which is fabulous. I'm assuming it's being written in Finnish as well. Uh, no, it's actually written in English. I, one of my supervisors uh, is from UK, and one of my um, uh, what's what's the uh, examiners is also from UK. So, oh, so it's, brilliant! It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow! So that means um, a lot of people listening will be able to access and be able to read that once that is available. Because uh, I'm assuming it's the same in Finland as is in the UK. Your doctorate gets published. Even if it's not like by a publisher, it becomes accessible through your institution once you've passed your viva, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's probably going to be an online publication, so it should mm -hmm. be at least e easy to access in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mine, um, if anyone is thinking of searching for it, um, you'll only be able to find little tiny parts of it because uh, I was doing mine back in, back in the early noughties and... Uh, I did interactive DVD-ROMs, mm. and so they are very hard now to <laughs> make <laughs> available. I wanted to do live websites, but was told no, that I couldn't mm. use that form. And they were mm. like, find an interactive form that um, can be captured, is what they said. So I did, mm. and now the great irony of it is, it would be far more accessible if it had been on a website, because it would still exist. But a DVD-ROM... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been struggling with similar issues in my doctorate, but at, at least it's going to be online now. Yeah. I was going to say, if you want any advice kind of like beyond this in terms of putting that together, then just, yeah, send me an email and give me a knock because I went through mm. such a, a traumatic process of pioneering getting that kind of interactive material to be available in that sort of academy accessible mm. way. But yeah that's really good to know because it's it's not always very easy yeah no no it's not so i'm apologies <laughs> for anyone listening thinking what are you talking about but it, it's the the intricacies of doing artistic research within the academy and trying to find mm. ethical ethically responsible ways of making your work available in ways that hold on to the nature of the work itself <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's it that's definitely that's what we spend i should think a good deal of our time wrangling in our brains <laughs> yeah yeah well Samir thank you so much for talking to me I really appreciate you taking the time and as I said there's a there's a, a thousand other things we could talk about and I, I this will not be the last time we talk I'm absolutely sure of that but thank you so much for joining us and it's been a real pleasure um to talk to you yeah thank you so much uh, for this inv invitation it's been a blast brilliant Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. It was really, really wonderful to talk to Samir. So it was great conversation. Um, I realised that um, this year things, again, have been really interrupted and there haven't been regular episodes coming out. So I, I do apologise. I am uh, managing quite a lot of different projects at the moment and working really closely 
with the immersive community in London and beyond to get quite a few different initiatives off the ground. So it's taking up quite a lot of my time. Um, but I do have quite a lot of really exciting conversations and chats lined up with various practitioners here in the UK and beyond. And I'm really hoping as well to get in some research trips this year um, outside of the UK so that I can get and talk to some people in the spaces where they make their work. Because it seems that this year I spend a lot of time still talking to people uh, over Zoom, which is fabulous that it opens up that kind of accessibility so that I can speak to people who aren't based in the UK, but I would really like to start to get into some of those spaces and also experience some of the work that people have been making outside of that UK context. So rest assured, there will be more content coming. Um, I, again, I can't make any promises as to how regular that that will be, but there will be some really exciting conversations coming. And um, some wonderful news is that my book, which is based on Tate podcast series, so speaking to lots of the practitioners that I've spoken with before, is now at the printing press and talking about immersive theatre, conversations on immersions and interactivity and performance, um, will be published by Bloomsbury in January next year. So as soon as I have links to where you can access that, I will put them up for you so that you can grab yourself a copy if you would like to. Um, although I've spoken to the people before, there's lots of new uh, areas of discussion in those conversations that were not covered in our discussions uh, on the podcast series. So loads and loads of new content in that book. So it's very exciting. It's my first ever book. So I am quite excited and I'm assuming at some point there'll probably be a book launch. And if there is, then I will share the details of that. So if anyone happens to be probably in London, um, you can pop along and meet me, which would be very exciting because I love uh, meeting people who listen to the podcast. As usual, if you're somebody you think I should be talking to, please reach out. There's so many different ways to find me. If you Google me, uh, my staff profile will come up and you'll be able to find me and click through and email me that way. Um, I don't use social media um, as much as I probably should. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find and to get hold of if you think I'm someone you should be talking to. Or even if you've just got any thoughts or recommendations, basically, I just love hearing from people who listen. So please do reach out if you would like to talk to me or bring something to my attention. So until next time, ta-ta!